you need to know where you're coming from. You need to know where you're starting from. And so it's important to identify where you're at, but also how you got there. Now I know there's there's teachings that say be in the present moment, be in the present moment. And yes, be in the present moment, you know, don't live in the past and try not to project into the future. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey loves, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about stories. We carry so many of them in our bodies. Some we're aware of, some we're not. Some are light, some are heavier than others. Some shape our identities into something we're not. So let me ask you this. Are you ready to release these old stories so you can be free to fly as your most authentic self? Are you ready to plant new seeds in your life's garden? If you're ready to heal, come join me on Tuesday, March 30th for Write to Heal, a writing workshop that will help you do just that. We'll combine meditation with writing and ritual to release and open up a path for your healing journey. For more information and registration, just hop over to my website, suryagiyan.com slash write to heal. Sign up today because your best healed life starts now. And now on to today's episode. Hello loves, welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Wherever you are, wherever you're listening, I hope that you can find some beauty in your everyday little details of life. For me today, it is sunny. Spring is on the way. I can hear it in the birds when they sing their songs early in the morning, just before the sun comes up. I know that warmer weather is around the corner, even though right now it's a little chilly, but I am grateful to have my breath, to have my health, to have my vision, to enjoy the sunlight and this beautiful day. Okay, so we are going to turn to our great Sufi mystic poet Hafez to kick off today's episode. And for those of you who are not familiar with how I open, I take a poem randomly from this book called The Gift, which is translated by Daniel Ladinsky. Um, And then we go from there. So let's see what today brings. Okay, so today's poem is called Without Brushing My Hair. Without Brushing My Hair. The closer I get to you, beloved, the more I can see it is just you and I all alone in this world. I hear a knock at my door. Who else could it be? So I rush without brushing my hair. For too many nights I have begged for your return. And what is the use of vanity at this late hour, at this divine season that has now come 
to my folded knees. If your love letters are true, dear God, I will surrender myself to who you keep saying I am. Hmm, I think I got to read that one again without brushing my hair. The closer I get to you, beloved, the more I can see it is just you and I all alone in this world. I hear a knock at my door. Who else could it be? So I rush without brushing my hair. For too many nights I have begged for your return. And what is the use of vanity at this late hour, at this divine season that has now come to my folded knees? If your love letters are true, dear God, I will surrender myself to who you keep saying I am. Oh, so good. Oh my God, so good. I um, I haven't come across this poem recently, so it's, it's like it's new again for me, and I love it. Uh, so I've had this book for years, and I... I remember when I first got this book, uh, I read it, you know, from beginning to end, one poem every night, earmarking almost every poem, like folding the corner of the page. Uh, and, you know, over the years, I do I do this, this ritual of randomly, you know, flipping through the book and often the same poems keep coming up because of the, the way the creases are in the book, um, in the book spine. And so when I do flip the the pages for uh, the podcast episodes, I try to be mindful of that, you know, not to constantly fall on the ones that are well-worn. And finding this one today really feels amazing um, because I've been thinking about identity a lot. Uh, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I've been doing some more exploring in my writing and sharing my writing with um, with people who follow me, with people who are in my in my communities, um, as far as what my identity is and how my identity has been created and what needs to be healed in terms of this journey of of identities that have been built on um, these notions of what we're supposed to be. So this poem comes at a perfect time because just to summarize, we've got the speaker, right, talking to the beloved, talking to God and saying that it's just us, just you and I, God, you and me, that's it. We don't, there's nobody else. It's just the two of us. And you went somewhere when actually, as I read it, um, God is always there. It is us who goes somewhere else. You know, sometimes we lose our way. Sometimes we lose our connection with our innermost selves. Sometimes, you know, we get distracted by the material, we'll say glitter, of the physical realm. And so when we discover or become aware that we have traveled far from God, from our divine selves, then we do the work to come back, to remember our connection to God, right? And so in that coming back, it is almost sort of like this waiting, you know, we do the work of, of returning to God, who's waiting for us. But in this poem, the speaker is the one who is waiting for God, which I think is interesting. So there's, there's for me, a two-way journey. You know, God is coming closer to us as we move closer to God. Um, so I don't necessarily think that 
we sit around waiting for God to show up, right? Like this poem is, is suggesting. But this idea of reunion, of union with God is so ecstatic, is so thrilling that we don't care about what we look like. You know, we'll show up with our hobo pajamas, <laughs> you know, the, the favorite pair of like flannel pajama pants that have a hole in the knee that you don't want to give up because they're so comfy. Yeah, we'll just, I mean, we wouldn't normally answer the door with that, with those pants on, but God's coming to the door. Who cares what you look like, right? You just want so badly to be reunited with the beloved that it doesn't matter if your hair is a bird's nest, which is what happens with my hair when I don't brush it. Um, but I, I like this idea, this urgency of the speaker wanting to be connected with God again, to see the beloved again. Um, you know, there, here's this, these lines here, for too many nights I have begged for your return. And so it's interesting because Again, I'm thinking about, well, if the speaker is begging for God's return, maybe it's a matter of the speaker also doing the work of returning to self, right? Which then brings us to that last part. If your love letters are true, dear God, I will surrender myself to who you keep saying I am. So God's telling us this message saying, you are more than who you're being right now. You know, you are more than your physical identity. You're more than, you know, a mom. You're more than um, somebody who works in an office. You're more than a brother, a sister, a parent. I said mom already, I know. But you're more than the roles that you play in this life, but you're also more than the identities that you've created for yourself, the physical identities. So for example, I'm Filipina, right? I'm more than that. I am more than my cultural identity. I am more than, you know, a petite woman who's got full function of her arms and legs. You know, I'm more than that. But what happens is that we get wrapped up in the physical, in the three-dimensional human being experience that we forget we are more than what our five senses perceive. And so it, this poem is a reminder. It's a, it's a call to awareness to say, hey, you know what? You are more than the edges of your body. You're more than the boundaries of skin that holds our body together. You know, I, um, I have this one teacher who talks about the ego self and the higher self. And she has this really great image of um, the ego self, which is like the, the, what she calls little me, right? And it's the, the physical embodiment of ourselves. You know, it's the human being, the human body, right? She's got that picture. And then superimposed on it is this much larger image of that same human being and also like faded out in terms of color. So it looks more like a, a, a ghost, a, a little translucent um, image over the human person. And it must be, I wanna say like five times bigger than the person. So that translucent image superimposed on the human being, that's your higher self. You know, just imagine that, okay? So 
if we're operating from this smaller version of ourselves, this, this ego self, this three-dimensional self, right, and we don't look beyond that, how limiting of a life are we living, right? So thinking about, okay, what is my identity? I mean, it's important to be aware of who you are, who you're being on this planet, in this lifetime, in this human body, but to not lose sight of the fact that we are more than that, that we are capable of much more than what we perceive our limits to be. And it's all about perception. Um, you know, I just, uh, I just love that graphic that's stuck in my mind. Um, you know, another, another graphic to illustrate just how small we are living is to imagine um, two hands making the heart shape. You know how they join the thumbs at the bottom and then the fingers curl over and then the hands come together to, to make a heart, right? Imagine that. Now stick up your right pinky, okay? That pinky, not even the whole pinky, just that top section. You know how each finger has a crease? So that, that crease, that, that first segment of the pinky, that is you as a human being. That is the ego self. That is the you that everybody perceives, right? The heart shape, both hands, that is the higher self you. That is the like gigantic potential of you. I mean, just this is just to give you a sense of proportions of how much we are not accessing, of how much we're not tapping into because we think that we are limited by the physical existence, the physical, you know, human body. And so just coming back to the poem, God is saying that we are more than that. And so when God comes knocking at our door, are we going to show up as this little pinky of a person? Or are we going to show up as our fullest selves, not just the heart shaped hands, but the entire body, you know, because we are unlimited potential. We are infinite. We are vast. And it's so easy to forget that in this worldly physical existence. And so it's interesting that this poem comes up because I wanted to talk a little bit about not just identity, but telling our story, telling our story of who we are. Because before we can access our higher selves, I mean, sure, you can access your higher self at any point, right? Anytime in meditation, in certain, um, certain practices that you can do, hypnosis, um, subliminals, things like that. But we got to start somewhere like ground zero right? We got to start at the beginning, um, just so we have a better understanding. Now, I'm not saying you need to do this before you access higher self. You can't put it off and be like, well, I can't access, I don't want to access my higher self until I go through steps X, Y, and Z, or, you know, A, B, and C. Um, it's more about let's understand who we are in this moment, in this physical moment. Let's be aware of that so that then we have a reference point on how we can expand from here, right? And so to start by creating our reference point is identifying who we are, right? Who are we? Who are we really, right? Who are we being? 
And one way uh, is to, one way to identify and to, to find these things is to look at the stories that we want to tell. Look at the stories of our lives. Um, I had started, and this is what I was mentioning earlier, on Instagram I had started Maverick Mondays. And this is a, a weekly occurrence where I write a story about identity and how that is related to the trauma of racism, the trauma of uh, sexual violence, to childhood traumas, any kind of traumas, you know, micro, macro, little t, big t, everything that I have seen as an experience that has helped me grow in ways that were not necessarily comfortable. Um, Although I will say that growing in general is never a result of comfort, right? And so in these Maverick Mondays, I'm, I've been telling the story of my relationship to whiteness and how that shaped my identity of who I thought I was. And so in doing so, what I'm noticing with this is that I'm able to see just how much I have taken in the trauma of racism, how much I've been affected by it um, in ways that were not so obvious, you know. So I talked a little bit about how uh, a friend of mine in college had said, I don't see you as something different. You know, you're pretty much white to me. And at the time I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I thought to myself, is this, this is what I wanted, right? Like I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be white like everyone else around me. And here I was getting it. You know, I had gone to um, a small liberal arts college that was predominantly white. And so knowing that I wasn't white and being surrounded by white people, naturally I wanted to fit in. And so by fitting in, I wanted to, to try to be white, you know, by acting and doing the things that white folks did, you know, dressing however they did, um, and not really realizing that that was never gonna be something that actually happened. Like my skin wasn't gonna change to white. I wasn't gonna get the inherent privileges that come with being white. Um, But what did, you know, what did I know? I was like 18, 19 years old, you know, didn't know a lot. And I'm also a little bit of a slow learner in general, like, when it comes to those kinds of things, I'm not the the most astute, um, at least then. Now I'm, I think I'm a little bit better. But the idea of identity and, and sort of naming it gives us a starting point for healing. It, it allows us to see where we are on our map, in our, in our GPS, you know, like whatever GPS system you use, you know, you wanna get somewhere, you have a destination, You know, whether it is being your most authentic self, whether it is to offer, you know, to be in service of others, you know, for their highest good, for your highest good, um, for enlightenment, whatever it is, you know, before you can get there, you need to know where you're coming from. You need to know where you're starting from. And so it's important to identify where you're at, but also how you got there. Now, I know there's, there's teachings that say, be in the present moment, be in the present moment. And yes, be in the present moment, you know, don't live in the past and try not to project into the future. But 
you also need to look at the past, not be in it, but to look at it, to see how far you've traveled, to see the lessons that you've learned along the way so that you can use that knowledge and that wisdom and wisdom being embodied knowledge, like having that embodied experience. So having the knowledge and the wisdom that you've gained from the past so that you know what the next steps are for the future, for going forward. And so what I'm finding with these Maverick Mondays, which are which have been so fun for me, like I don't, you know, I, I just have fun writing them. I don't know if the stories themselves are fun. They're they're kind of sad um, and a little a little hard. Uh, but for me, I've, I've, I'm finding enjoyment out of writing them. And so what I'm finding in that is that there is some energetic transmutation happening where the stories themselves become some kind of healing solve. It's really interesting. And as I'm writing these stories, then I see an unfolding happening. I see things from those moments, from those experiences that I hadn't seen before. You know, obviously, because I'm a different person from when I experienced them. Um, But I'm also a different person from whenever I first wrote about them. And, you know, over time, we gain knowledge from our lived experiences, we gain wisdom. And what I see now in the stories that I tell is that these things happened to help me grow and inform who I am right now. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the trauma of racism is a really great thing. It's like, yeah, whoo. I'm not celebrating that at all. No. What I'm saying is that I've taken that, I've taken that hurt, that pain, and transmuted it into something that helps me grow and something that helps nourish me. So instead of sitting on my couch and saying, woe is me, you know, I'm the victim of racism. And it's always such a hard climb uphill because I'm always being held down and held back by the color of my skin because of the systemic racism that's been inherently built in this country from day one. You know, that's, that's the card I was dealt and I'm just gonna like moan about it and you know, do what I can and push through. That's okay. I mean, that's one option to to go in, um, one direction to go in. And I will admit that was a way that I had done um, in the past because uh, I didn't know any better. You know, I didn't know other, other ways, other paths. Uh, I was like, okay, so this was the hand I was dealt guess I'll just deal with it. I'll just move on, push through, fight my way through. You know, when I was younger, I um, really thought, I want to say this was probably when I was in my mid to late 20s, I really thought that um, I could be part of some kind of movement that could change the system from the inside out, you know, where I could be, let's just say, you know, part of academia, Right. And from inside the academy, I could help incite change in the racist structures of the academy. 
You know, I, you know, in your 20s, you have so many ideas and you're so full of, um, I don't know what to say, like wonder, so full of positivity, so full of like this, this dazzling, like, yes, 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 yes. Anything is possible. Idealism. Um, And then as you get older, then you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I haven't lost that positivity, but I also see the racial structures for what they are. And the idea of trying to dismantle that from the inside out doesn't really work. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, so, so what I'm saying is that what I learned from those experiences of, we'll say racism in the academy is that, okay, no, that's not the way to go. So maybe we need to try a different path. Maybe we need to try a different approach. Maybe we need to try from the outside and shift things out outwardly rather than from within, you know, or maybe I build a new thing that's just for me and other folks of color. Cause that's the, that's actually the path that I'm find, finding more, more, um, significant, more meaningful. Um, it, it just seems like there's more happening when I do my own thing. You know, I'm able to affect more change by going outside of the parameters of whatever white supremacy has dictated for us folks of color. You know, so for example, um, the publishing world, you know, there's so many hoops to jump through in the publishing world in general, right? There's, um, there's a lot of rules. There's so many writers out there. There's so many gatekeepers, um, many of whom are white. And so writers of color do a lot of hoop jumping. Now, yes, most writers, if not all writers and, and poets, especially poets, we have it rough publishing world for us is like, whew, I don't, yeah, I can't, I'm not even gonna get started on that. <laughs> but writers and poets in general have a lot of hoops to jump through. You know, there's a lot of gatekeeping. And, and it's like, okay, who gets to be published by the big publishing houses? Who holds the keys to access the big publishing houses? You know, look at who the editors are. Are there editors of color? You know, and if there are, how many? In, in terms of percentages, you know, and where are they located? What genres are they in? All kinds of things. Then you'd look at agents, right? Let's look at how many agents of color there are um, versus the rest of the agent's world, literary agent world. Um, and then, you know, there's the submission process and the query process, and there's so many things, right? And, you know, it is, that's, that's how it goes. I mean, you can't just publish anybody, right? supposedly but then you know there's this there's the self-publishing option which interestingly enough has kind of a bad rap because it's not I guess there are no gatekeepers I mean because anybody can publish you know like a 10 year old can publish his you know journals from his language arts class and say hey I got a book um But the thing is, when it comes down to it, what you have to say is worth something to somebody, even if it's just a younger, more naive version of yourself. 
And so let's find ways for us to express that. You know, so for me, because of all the gatekeeping in the publishing world, and I've, and trust me, I've been, I've been trying to do the publishing world thing for over 20 years, uh, probably longer, 30 years, maybe, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, and so I am tired of hoop jumping and yeah, you know, I've done, I've done my fair share of hoop jumping and I've gotten, you know, published here and there, but I say to myself, you know, my calling is to share my stories with others more urgently than the system is allowing me to. So I'm just going to go do it myself. (laughs) And I don't mean self-publishing, you know, because these stories that I'm telling, I don't know if they're necessarily something that, I mean, maybe down the road, they'll be published in a book. But right now I feel the urgency to share these stories to people who are feeling all kinds of things um, in terms of who they are, who they're being in the, in the rise of awareness of systemic racism. You know, we, we're becoming collectively more and more aware, not just about systemic racism, just aware in general. The awareness collectively is growing, is increasing. And so I want to share my stories to those folks who think that they're alone in their experiences, to think, to say, hey, I, you know what, I've been through that and I want to share that with you so you don't feel alone. And I also want to share with you how I got through it, you know, how I was able to heal from it, how I was able to become more evolved as a result of it. Um, yeah, I just, I just think that these stories are, are really important for me to share with folks uh, because how else can people learn and grow if we're just doing it in our own little bubble, in our own little fishbowl? I think it's so important to have community, to have people witness you, but also to be seen by others through writing. You know, so for example, Toni Morrison's favorite, famous quote is to write the book you have always wanted to read, but wasn't on the shelf. You know, she's addressing writers of color specifically, you know, because when I, when I was in the education system, I didn't know that there were Asian American writers, that there was an Asian American literature canon. I didn't know that. I didn't even know that Filipinos wrote literature until I was in my early 20s. And that moment that I discovered that was life-changing for me. It was like, oh my God, I'm not the only one who's doing this. This is amazing. Oh my God, I'm not the only one. I'm not, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I'm not the only one who went through what I went through with the strict parents, the strict immigrant parents, like... You know, people know the food that I eat and it's in literature and this is, you know, and Penguin published her. That's amazing. Like, who knew? So for people to be seen in literature is so important, not just literature, just in general and representation is everything, you know, because in the film um, Crazy Rich Asians, 
I was like, you know, I heard mixed reviews about it and I was like, well, I'll go see it, you know, just to see what everyone's talking about. And when I went to see it, I cried, (laughs) if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Not necessarily because the storyline was sad, but because it was a story about the Asian and Asian American experience that spoke to me where I felt seen, where I felt validated and affirmed for my experience. I wasn't a weirdo, you know? I wasn't like this weird person with weird immigrant parents and no one else went through that because we all had steak for dinner and potatoes and watched the Brady Bunch and, you know, just laughed it all away, that kind of thing. Um, So for me to see myself on the big screen in a movie theater was overwhelming. And I didn't realize how important that was for me to to see that, to see that representation until I experienced it. Because I'm so used to seeing white folks around me, seeing white folks in TV and movies, uh, yeah. And it's, it's really powerful. And so I want to share my stories to help those who think that they're the freaks, <laughs> that they're the only ones, because they're not, you know, it's just a matter of us finding each other. And how can you find each other if you're silent? You can't. So here I am sending out my beacon of light, flying with the freak flag, as people like to say sometimes. Although I don't think I'm really that much of a freak. (laughs) It depends on who you ask, right? But to speak out and to share my stories, to raise my voice and say, hey, I'm over here in in a gym crowded with people at a high school dance where the lights are out And all you get are like those little flashy lights from the DJ table. I've got my hand up in the corner in the way back, waving my arms, jumping up and down and saying, hey, I'm over here. I got you. Come on over here and let's dance. So yeah. It's so important to tell your story. And so I hope that in my sharing of my stories, you're able to not only see yourself or relate to it in somehow, in some way, but that you will also feel encouraged and inspired to share your own stories so that others who are hiding out in the corners, feeling alone, might come across your words and your voice. And then there'll be that chain reaction and how beautiful and how amazing will that be? We will light up that school gym dance floor like nobody's business. Okay. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Okay. To close our episode today, I'm going to turn to Rumi. I'm just going to do the same thing I did with the Hafez poems and go through the essential Rumi, which is translated by Coleman Barks and John Moyne. 
And let's see if we can find something that's not a hundred pages long, because it looks like these are all long poems. <laughs> okay. So we've got a wished for song. A wished for song. Your song, a wished for song. Go through the ear to the center where sky is, where wind, where silent knowing. Put seeds and cover them. Blades will sprout where you do your work. Okay, let me read that again. A wished for song. You are song, a wished for song. Go through the ear to the center where sky is, where wind, where silent knowing. Put seeds and cover them. Blades will sprout where you do your work. Hmm. Oh, so good. All right, my friends. I hope this was as joyous for you as it was for me. And so we close today's episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.